0: Hello and welcome to the Service Accommodation Property Podcast. So our keynote speaker today is Henry Guyben. Correct pronunciation, I know. Check me out. Henry Guyben and Henry has been in business for a number of years and has now started his service accommodation business. So he's got four service accommodation properties already, but has got quite a few in the pipeline because he started his service accommodation management business. Now, what Henry's going to do this talk today is the four pillars of a sustainable business and how you can relate that to running a service accommodation business. So please give a massive round of applause for Henry, everyone.
1: Thank you, Kevin. Um, So there's a really horrible stat in business where roughly 80% of businesses go under in the first 10 years. So who here would like to be in that top 20% that survives that? Please give me your hands in the air. So also, who would like to make a shit ton of money along that journey? Please put your hands in the air. Fantastic. Well, hopefully this talks for you. So I'd just like to say thank you to Kevin and Caroline um, for giving me the opportunity to speak to you guys today. Um, So what qualifies me to be stood here? I've been in business for 14 years. Um, and i've done a lot of uh, self development read a lot of books and what i've taken from that is the four pillars of a sustainable business so this talk is for you if you want to create a sustainable business you may think this talk's not for you because you're just going to use a management company but this talk is also definitely for you so As I say, it's the four pillars of a sustainable business, and those pillars are in order of what I think are important. So, number one is numbers, number two is sales and marketing, number three is culture, and number four is systemization. So, why is it important to put these four pillars into your business? It's important. Um, If you're using a management company, to know these so you can talk to your management company and you can employ the right management company, and you can be asking the right questions. To make more money, I mean, I'm sure you all agree with me that that's one of the main reasons why we're here, is because we want to create money and we want to create that legacy for our families. To have more control, so we can make controlled decisions and we can have control over our lives, over our businesses. To create a sustainable business, so we're not part of that horrible stat that I said at the beginning. And to get time, because we can't buy time, but we can buy ourselves time out of our lives to be able to have a business that works for us, not just creating another job. Because if we're just running around in the business trying to do everything without these four pillars, then essentially it's just another job. If you're doing 50, 60, 70 hours a week, you know, we want to create a business that works without us so we can go and have those nice trips away and we're not having those stressful calls in the evenings, weekends and and whatever. So the number one thing is numbers. Um, Having the correct numbers and knowing your numbers in your business is absolutely vital. And you might be sat here now thinking, well, I don't have any deals, but one thing I'd say to that is, is knowing your numbers even before you've got any deals is so key. So knowing in your area whether you've got what a two-bedroom goes for, what a three-bedroom, what a four-bedroom. Because Rob Moore talks about um, how money doesn't like friction. Money likes, you know, it likes speed. You know, and that's how Jeff Bezos has done so well with Amazon. He created the one-click buy, and that's why they've done so well, because people don't have time to think. And that's the same as when you're going out and speaking to agents and you're trying to make decisions. Procrastination is your enemy. Because if you go and look at a deal on one day, you need to be thinking, okay, in my head, right, does this work? Because you've done your idea and analyzer so many times over and over again, practising up until that point. When you get offered a two-bed place, you instantly know... Does this work? Does this not work? And then you can make a decision. Yes, you're not going to make, make a decision that day, but you can literally go find a cafe, get your laptop out, make a decision and offer on that really, really quickly because then you're going to get more chance of getting that deal. If you go away and then you then think about it for a day, two days, you're procrastinating, you're working it out, the chances are that deal is going to disappear. So. I'm going to talk about now some of the numbers that I believe that you need in your company for once you get your first deal when things are working. So in all four of my businesses, we have a company metric spreadsheet, and that is something that we look at, me and my wife look at, every Friday. Um, We look at what what numbers are working. It means we can make decisions. So another thing with numbers um, and business and life and everything, uh, there's a great book called... Switch um, by Dan and Chip Heath. And they talk about our emotional side of our brain and our thinking side of our brain. And our emotional side of the brain is uh, like an elephant, and our thinking side is uh, the rider. And as you can imagine, your emotional side of your brain wins quite a lot, because if you're feeling a certain way, the elephant will steer it rather than the thinking part of your brain. And this is where, knowing your numbers, if you can use your thinking part of your brain to influence the elephant, then that is where you can make some really solid decisions. So I may sound like I know what I'm talking about, but I'm going to take you back a few years. And three years ago, I had a business that had 47 staff in it, uh, had just under two million turnover and I lost it all. We ended up with half a million pounds worth of debt. Um, I unfortunately had to uh, sell my family home, and it was a pretty tragic time in my life. But I learned a hell of a lot through that time, so I take it as a massive positive. But the one reason, and people always say, how did you get yourself into that mess? And that is because I didn't know my numbers. I didn't know my numbers well enough. And that is why it is at the top of my list because I was making decisions with my emotional part of my brain. If I was feeling angry or anxious or if the problem came up, I would just emotionally go, "Okay, well, we'll buy this or we'll buy that or we'll do this or we'll knock this amount of money off this deal. And that's where all the problems come. So that is why it's key to know your numbers when you're making decisions. So that is why now we have a company metric spreadsheet for every business. So we could be making the decisions on a Friday afternoon, we have a look at what hap- what's happened that week, what's going on, what money's been made, and I'll talk through the other numbers that you should have on that spreadsheet. So the unit cost, the bottom line, how much it's cost you for your unit Because again, it's the same thing if you get a direct booking and somebody phones you up and says, right, I need a month's booking, can you give me a price now? That's the kind of thing you need to have in your head. You need to know that because you need to think, okay, well I know my cost for my four bedroom house are £2,350 a month. I know I, I want to make £1,000, so yet for a month, that's £3,250. The chances they're going to buy with you at that point when they're calling or they're messaging you is extremely higher in, in, in the instant if you say, actually, I'm going to have to come back to you and then suddenly, oh, you've got to pick the kids up from school, something happened. something else happens. Before you know it, six hours have passed, and they've gone to someone else that was quicker, that knew their costs, that could get you that information. So even if you don't have, if you've got 20 units, having it somewhere and knowing that unit cost so you can get out and be really, really quick with that. Cash flow. Now, they say cash is king, and that is right. You can have a very profitable business and not have any cash in it. And forecasting into the future, with cash flow is really important because if you're taking another unit, you're making decisions whether to go finance your stuff, whether you're gonna buy it outright, knowing how much cash you've got coming in, in week by week. It's what we call the sleep at night spreadsheet because you can sleep at night knowing that you've, you pay your bills the next day and the next day and the next day. Um, profit, of course, we're all in business to make profit, so it's really important to have that. Um, you have your P&L, but it's really important to be looking and setting targets on a weekly basis, because like in my businesses, we will do, say, March, but we won't actually receive our profit and loss two weeks later, so we'll be halfway through April. So you kind of want to be looking at that and being reactive earlier on in the month rather than just waiting for your p and What I used to do before the business went under is I just used to get given it at the end of the year, and then I used to go, filing cabinet, in it goes. Because I go, yep, yeah, we've made money. Cool, I can spend some more money. Oh, no, we haven't made any money. Okay, shit, I need to take some more staff on or get some more work or do whatever. Your occupancy rates. So it's really key to know this. And for the people that are using management companies, this is the first question I'd be asking any management company. How much? What's your current occupancy rate in my area? What, what are you doing? And that's what I'd want to know because essentially they're the experts in, their, in that area and you can then do your figures based on that. Marketing, marketing numbers, if you're gonna be spending money on marketing, it's really important to know what's working and what's not, to be tracking where are your leads coming from, where are your bookings coming from, so you know where to spend more money or spend less money. Um, Conversion rate, I know Booking.com does this, where you can see your conversion rate, so you can see how many people are clicking on and looking and then you can work that out because then if you're changing something, if you're gonna then go and put a pool table in or you're gonna put some, something in one of your units and that you can see that's converting a lot more, then you can go and put that and spend that money in all your other units. And, and reviews, and again, this is something I'll be asking um, the management companies, what are your reviews? Because as you know, our business is are built on reviews. It's what the culture we live in now. Everyone wants reviews. If you look at, I'd want to see if a management company is going to take them on, what are your reviews for the other ones you're managing? Because if they're shocking, you're not going to pay them and you're going to move on. So it's really important to be asking these what what their average score is. And then your balance sheet. And it's really important that you know what your balance sheet is in your business because just for a duty of care, and I didn't know this before the business went under, it is your duty as a director to always be improving the balance sheet if you're in minus because that is the law. And that's something I wasn't doing as well, which I got in a lot of trouble for. So this is my basic um, metric, one of the, pe- the sheets. So it's got the cash flow on the top, it's got the op- got occupancy rate, then the lead source nights, and then the reviews. So um, this is a, a very basic at the moment for my service accommodation, because you guys know I've only been doing this since June. If you look at my tree surgery business, I've got about 20 tabs, and I'm looking at what happened last year, what happened last month, always reviewing, always seeing what's happening, looking at what my sales guys are doing. And it's really important that you're always, you know, you don't have to do every single thing that I listed to start off with. But as you progress, you get more and more granular all the time and you're always improving because you always want to be influencing your elephant that when that Monday morning when you're feeling like crap and someone's cut you up and you're feeling angry and then you make a really crap decision, but you can always revert back to your numbers and go, actually, I'm going to influence my my elephant now and make the right decision. So um, moving on to sales and marketing every business needs to have sales and marketing to survive. And some of you might be thinking, well, I'm gonna use my OTAs, that's fine. But my argument to that is, is that you need to be looking at direct bookings. If you've got, say, I don't know, four-ish units, you're probably gonna be having a revenue of about 100K-ish, depending what area you're in. So if, if you're getting charged 15%, that's 15 grand that the OTAs are getting from you that would you all agree with me, you prefer to have 15 grand in your pocket? You yes. yeah, Definitely. So that's where we need to start looking at the, at, at the sales and marketing. I'm not saying OTAs are fantastic, and that's where we all start with, and we wouldn't be here if we didn't have the OTAs. But that what we need to be looking at is how we can be marketing and getting the information to be able to then market to the people so we can get direct bookings. So, um, I know Scotty talks about this a lot, the ideal client avatar is really important. I know people get confused with this because they think, well, if I'm going to pick Muddy Boots contractors, then I'm not going to attract anyone else. But it's not. It's You have your clear vision of how you set your units up. You will still have other people. For example, our places in Southampton are purely set up for contractors but we get crew and cast, we get NHS people, we get families, but they're set up for contractors, and it's really important that you have it in your head, you know that who your ideal client is. Um, OTAs, which we've talked about, um, having a website um, to di- be able to direct book is really important, um, something set up that's ideally linked to your channel manager, so it pulls all the prices through, it pulls your revenue manager through, And talking about management companies again, this is what I'd be really wanting to be um, asking them. What are they doing when they get a booking with your data or or the customer's data? Because if I'm spending 15 to 25% with a management company, I'm going to want to know, how are they going to get more direct bookings? Because if they suddenly get more direct bookings, then that's gonna make their management fee a lot more appealing to pay for that hands-off experience. If they're just getting bookings and not repurposing that data, and what I've mean by repurposing, there's lots of things on the market now where you can, we've gotta be careful with GDPR because we're not business-to-business a lot of time, we're business-to-consumer, but you need to be getting their email addresses and their data and then being able to market to them. And to be able to do that, you've got to get them to sign GDPR. Now there's lots of things on now you can get Wi-Fi systems where someone has to log in and it will say, you know, for us, edify edify properties, and they'll log in, and then they'll have to tick the GDPR button, and then we can remarket to them. And that's what I'll be asking your management companies: how do you do that? For us as a management company, What we're niching on is getting the best reviews and be able to get more direct bookings. We can actually sell ourselves to say to people, come and and use us because we're going to get you 30%, 40%, 50% direct bookings. And they're the kind of questions you need to be asking your management companies. Or if you're going to start a management company, they're the kind of things that are going to set you above the rest. Um, Social media, having a presence on social media. I've been into Facebook for years. I'm now trying to get down with the kids, and it's terrible for me to say that because I feel really old when I say that, doing TikTok and Insta and different things like that. But apparently a lot of people hang out on Insta, so I'm having to get used to that. So definitely having a social media presence. And then there's the proactive outbound calls, and I've got MSH there, which means make shit happen. Um, quite often, back in business when you started 14 years ago, if anyone remembers the Yellow Pages? Yeah, so you'd get the Yellow Pages, you'd start a business, you'd put an ad in and you'd sit by the phone and wait for it to ring. Now that's quite reactive and you've got to do a lot of waiting around. but making shit happens means doing outbound calls. You know, In your area, are you phoning the universities, the hospitals, are you phoning local businesses, are you picking the phone up? It's the most scary thing to do, but also the easiest and quickest way from A to B to just pick the phone up, hi, do you ever have any people coming to your area, any directors, anyone that we can, we can accommodate in our apartments, houses? Um, there's a really good technique I use with LinkedIn in all of our businesses. It's called the, what I call the backdoor technique, because if you phone up a company and say, hi, can, um, can I speak to the person who deals with, quite often you'll come up against a gatekeeper. And their job, the receptionist or the person on the end of the phone, is to say, filter through all of the calls. So as soon as you say, can I speak to the person that, they instantly go, it's a salesperson. Yeah, send an email in. And you send an email in, and that goes into the abyss. So if you use LinkedIn, you can look up the company. So say Taylor Wimpy Construction Company, And you can then look through the list of people that you might want to speak to, might be a project manager, might even have, if you're lucky, accommodation manager or stays manager on it. And you can Google that. You can Google that and it will come up with all the accommodation managers on LinkedIn. And then you can find out their name. And then you can phone up and say, hi, is Derek Smith there? And instantly you have authority. And generally, and this happens not all the time, you get put through because you know the name. You're not starting with is the person that deals with here. So when you're selling and marketing your company, it might not be comfortable. And in the future, you might employ somebody to do this. And there are agencies that you can do it. But it's the quickest way that you're going to get direct bookings. You're going to get onto people's lists. And you're going to be able to then save that 15%. So make shit happen. Referral programs, so whether it's burger vans, whether it's letting agents, you know, giving them a percentage, say, 5%, you're still going to make 10% more. Really, really important. Um, Leaflets, going around to the Premier Inns, leafleting everyone's vans, whatever, um, is really handy. And then the email (coughs) campaigns, and this is obviously where you're getting the customer data and you're using that and then you're continually reminding people you're there. Quite often, people won't buy from you, not because they didn't like your place, but they've just forgotten your name, or they've got you through Airbnb, or they've just completely forgotten because life happens, a couple of years passes by, but if you're just doing gentle reminders, and it doesn't have to be war and peace on an email, but look at our new apartment, look at our new piece of furniture, oh, look at this new event that's happening in our area, and just has to be short information, and you can do it on things like Mailchimp, so you can have it all automated and set up, and then in the future, hopefully use maybe an agency to do it. So, culture, People will often say, why is culture one of the pillars? Well, culture to me is everything in business because we, go, we work in business. It's the reason why I got attracted to the progressive, creating the win-wins, You know, doing everything morally right. Um, culture is about looking after your team. It's about having your morals and your values all in one place. So every business should have a vision of where it wants to be. So the vision should always be bigger than where we currently are. So say in SA, it will be the vision to be the best service accommodation provider, whilst trying to be carbon neutral, whilst getting 10 out of 10 reviews and delivering the best customer experience. And then you have a mission. Um, of how you're gonna get there, and that's a mission statement. And then my favorite bit is the values. So quite often, you're gonna be working with cleaners, you're gonna be working with maybe VAs, um, you're gonna be working with meet and greet people, handymen, and it's really important that we work on on the values, because say, for example, you've got these values, um, customer, caring, accessible, teamwork, family, respect, honest and trusting, drive, committed, community, open, fun, positive. Now, everyone will have their own set of values, but it's really important that everybody in your business knows this, because it's the kind of, this is how things are done around here, kind of attitude, and everybody should know this, from your meet and greet to your cleaner. It's how you work with the tonality, you know, if you want people to be talked to in a a nice way, if you're wanting the respect, you know, the customer is the key, the caring, because we need to be caring, we need to have empathy. And this is how you get all these different people within your business to be sharing into your idea, to your vision, and then understanding that these are the values that we work to. So each different business might be different and each people are different, but it's really important that everybody knows these and you are constantly reminding people um, of that and, and how that is. We've got a playbook a culture playbook for each of our businesses and everybody that works within it or is part of it gets given the playbook and they can read through it and understand what we're trying to do. You'll get the, keep the morale high, you'll look after people, because essentially it's a people, people in business is the most important thing, morale in, in business, like there was this old school thing in business where I, know I met a lot of business owners that used to say to me before my business went under, Henry, you can't be this nice to your staff. It doesn't work, but it does. Because what happens is is when you're good to your team, to your staff, what happens is, is they give back tenfold more. And it feels good. You know, the old school way of just people used to say, oh, but I pay him, that's my thanks. Or I pay them, that's my thanks. I mean, that's, not, that's just the minimum they get for, one, for turning up to work. People should be thanked and respected for the effort they put in for helping us get to where we want to get to, for helping us get to our vision. And that's how we create a really, really good business that, again, we can sleep, sleep at night. So systemization. This is the most challenging one that I find, which I have to use my PA to help me with um, because I have to get my head around it. Systemization is... What is the glue to a business? It's what makes everything work and Means that we're not having to work ourselves all the time You know McDonald's is the most systemized business that I can think of off the top of my head now We don't we all know that McDonald's is shit food, right, but people still go there you know, they do, but people still go there, people still go to, 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 be, to McDonald's because they know that they're going to get the two gherkins in their burger, and they're going to get the spread of the exact amount of tomato ketchup. You know Anyone can pick up, go and buy a, a McDonald's franchise, and as people, we like to have the same thing. We like to know that when we're going to spend money, we're going to get the same experience. And that's what McDonald's re- does really, really well doesn't do food very well, but it does the systemization well, so people keep going back all the time. Now, if you can imagine you've got an SA unit set up, and you've got um, a couple coming along to stay, first time they come and stay, first time they come in, and they smell a really nice air freshener, they walk in, they've got bubbles in the fridge, they've been met and greet, and they've been asked some really nice questions, they've been given a nice welcome pack, Um, They've been given a nice uh, little hamper on the side. And they think, ah, do you know what? This SA unit's the best and nicest one I've ever had set up. So they think, right, we're going to book the next year. But because they got you that time, and they didn't get your meet and greet the next time, and you've not systemized your business, the next time they turn up, there's a meet and greet. They Maybe not as nice and smiley. There's no bubbles in the fridge, there's no hamper, there's no nice smell, there's, no, you know, there's, there's not everything was the same before. Do you think they're going to book again? Do you think their level of experience is going to be less? Because they've not systemized that, there's not been the right system in place to ensure that that customer experience is the same every time and that's what systemization does because you know you're going to give the same experience time and time again so people are always going to come back because they're going to know they're going to have their nice glass of bubbles, they're going to have their jam and they're going to have their croissants and they're going to have their milk in the fridge and all these things. And I'm not saying you have to do all these things but what you want to do is make sure the customer experience is the same and that's what systemization does. So you have you have systems in place, um, like you have your channel manager, um, revenue manager, and all these things. You have the systems which are automated. Um, then you have processes, and we have things, process maps. So we have a process map from check-in to check-in, and everybody has knows within that whole process map, and I'll show you one that I've done in the business, knows what part of the process they play in. So you share this with your VAs or your Office team, You have check sheets for the cleaners and for people involved. Even your meet and greet can have a check sheet, the things they need to say and the, the things they need to find out. It improves efficiency. It improves customer experience. Um, you can have your marketing systemized. Um, so, as I said, that this is a process map. So basically, from check-in to check-in, you can't, probably can't see on the screen, but day one, to then 24 hours after checkout. And that process map shows the whole process, what if, when, and it, go, it runs all the way through. So everybody within that process map will see that, that's involved in it, whether it's a cleaner, whether it's meet and greet, and, and knows that. So some really handy tips that I've learned with systemization is using things like Loom and Zoom, so when you're training somebody, if you're gonna use a VA or even your office team, you can find something that you're gonna do that you think I need to outsource this or I need to get someone else to do, you can literally go onto your computer and record you doing it. So then you record you doing it, you've got that then as a digital asset that in the future you can show to anyone, train people on how to do it, You know, having YouTube videos for everything that happens in your property, everything from um, changing, opening a window to turning the heating on, having all of that as part of the system is really important. Um, And then going through and seeing, you know, if you're starting to systemize like we are now after a year of doing this, we're looking through every single question that's been asked in the last year and working out what is it they're asking and what are the most common common questions so then we can give them the right answers to our VA that we're gonna be employing. So we're constantly using that and putting those answers in part of the system. So you might be thinking, wow, that's a lot of information to take in and I've gotta do all of this. So before the business went under three years ago, I was doing the how all the time. I was trying to do it everything myself. I was working 80, 90 hours a week, and I was doing everything. And then about a year ago, I read this book, Who Not How. And essentially what it means is, is when we think, how am I going to do something, we change that word and we think, who are we going to get to do it? and it completely changed everything. So to, be sca- to scale in property, we need to use other people's money and we need to use other people's time. That's how we're going to leverage as much as we can. And in the early days, you might have to be resourceful. We might have to use cousins, aunties, brothers, sisters, wives, kids to help us do some of these things. Um, well, yeah, you know, if it's at a certain age, pocket money, Scotty. Um, but certainly not trying to think, how can I do all of this? So um, a great book is Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. Some other um, different books that I've read that really help. Traction is where I got a a bit of this information from, and I know Scotty loves traction. Um, The E-Myth, certainly if we can create a business that is like a franchise, even though we're not gonna franchise it, That is really important because then you know there's a business that is working without you being the centerpiece of a business. The compound effect's really good, and Black Box Thinking is the book I read just after the business went under, and it made me have this epiphany that actually this really shit thing that's happened is actually really good because I can learn from it. And anything that goes wrong, you can learn from it. So what if you don't do it? Well then, you might have less profit, there might be some poor management, you might actually have a poor management company, there might be time wasted, and there might be lost opportunity. So it's really important to put these in. So when to start doing it? Well, I'd start doing these four pillars now and you can mark yourself. Um, And it just can be a guesstimate. There's no right or wrong way to mark it. But for example, at the moment, I think I'm probably, for my SA business, probably overall about 30% through this, so I am nowhere near 100% and we're trying to implement these into our business. But you can look at each pillar and just start working on a small amount on each one and the compound effect will happen and you can just get build it over time more and more and more and more. So just a little plug for my new podcast, which I am launching on my birthday next Tuesday. It's called Fail Forward, it's all about my experience with my business going under and essentially failure is only a negative if you don't learn from it and we give up. So it's really important that when you're going on your journey and your, your business moving forward, when the things don't go so right, just look at those and think, how can I adapt, how can I improve? We're always learning. Failure is, is essentially experience and learning. and. That is why I've created this podcast to talk about my business going under, to help try and inspire people. We're going to be, I'm going to be using some of my content that I've talked about today and then also interviewing other people who have been through adversity, who have been through difficult times and understanding the traits that they have to hopefully help other people see that we can keep moving on and we can scale and we can all make a shit ton of money. Thank you all for listening. Um. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Awesome, Henry. Well done. D- didn't you do great? Yeah. Fantastic. Okay, so, Henry, I really love the, uh, the, the point about failing forward and that learning from your mistakes. And, you know, Einstein's definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. So, that's really important in business, 100%. Um, and so, for anybody that's listened to you on the podcast, if they wanted to reach out to you, how, what would be the best way for them to do that? It's
1: just on Facebook or LinkedIn.
0: Yeah, so do you want to give them the correct spelling of your name for when they search
1: for you? It's H E N R I, and the surname is G H I J B E N. Guy Ben. Guy Ben. Okay, awesome. Okay, so
0: thanks very much. Another round of applause, everyone. Thank Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. You can also follow me on social media and YouTube by searching The Property Soldier. Also check out my website, www.propertysoldier.co.uk, where you can learn even more about property investing and serviced
1: accommodation.